HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This program is brought to you by Chefs Collaborative, a nonprofit with a mission to inspire, educate, and celebrate chefs and food professionals building a better food system. Change menus, change lives. Learn more at chefscollaborative.org. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. What's happening on the front lines of women in food tech? Find out in this episode when we talk to three CEOs. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners. That's about a million strong from 65 countries around the world. I'm Jennifer Leutzi. This is Tech Bites, the weekly show where we talk to influencers and innovators in the food tech space. And today, that space is occupied by three women founders and CEOs of food tech startups. And we're going to hear from them about what's happening out there on the front lines in the food tech space. But before we do that, we are going to start every episode like we do, going around the shipping container talking about apps, apps we love, new discoveries, old favorites that have been living on our home screen for years and years. First up, we will talk to the man at Mission Control, the odd man out perhaps for this episode, David Tatashore, our engineer. Oh. Well, that never gets old. What a great audience. <laughs> Shows at 9 and 11. Actually, from 11 till 11, 6. 11 to 6, live. <laughs> and after that, on demand. We have 35 live shows a week, in case you were wondering. 10,000 right. 10, episodes on demand on heritageradionetwork.org. Over 10,000. Over 10,000. Do you have 10,000 apps? Absolutely not. I have about 10 apps. <laughs> um, and so the one I'm going to talk about today, I haven't had a chance to fully explore yet, but it's called Food Kick. And oh. uh, it's actually made by the people at Fresh Direct. It's just another one of these uh, same day uh, delivery 
food services, which I'm not really big into, don't get me wrong, but this one uh, does alcohol delivery. So in a pinch, that could prove useful, and I'm exploring the potential. So you downloaded it aspirationally? You haven't used it yet? Yes, that's right. You have... Uh, Aspirational download, I like that. <laughs> Do you have a target in mind, like a weekend thing, or have you invited people over, or you, you're feeling well, spontaneous I mean, actually, barbecue happening? Or Yeah, I kind of thought about a previous situation where it could have come in handy, you know, having people over for dinner and you run out of wine and, like, nobody wants to walk to the liquor store. I mean, this is obviously the... <laughs> but you can the, just call the your most first world problem. You, you could, could just call your local liquor of, store. Most neighborhood liquor shops deliver, and is that right? pin- absolutely. And most bodegas, bodega being the mostly twenty four hour convenience store neighborhood shops for people who don't live in the metro area. Hmm. Most bodegas deliver also, and they usually have at least like some beer or hard cider or something like that. Wine coolers, perhaps. Wine cooler. Zimas. Do they still have Zimas? I think it's coming back. Is it? There's yeah, a the wine cooler. Are, the there's a wine cooler back, thing happening again. That's for sure. Like fruit juices and wines, wine in cans, wines in bottles. Everything old is new again. I know. I know. It's too bad. Little Four Loco and Bartles and James. <laughs> Let's move forward, people. Come on. <laughs> Returning for her third visit to Tech Bites, we have Rachna Giovanni, who is the CEO and co-founder of Food Stand. And Hi as there. she knows, you the only rule is that you can't talk about an app that you own or have worked on. Yes, indeed. So I will I will hold my plug for the food stand <laughs> app. <laughs> um, my current favorite app is actually a full program. It's called Airtable. Uh, if you guys have not heard of it, uh, it's basically like a, a do it yourself. Uh, database. So mm. if you want to organize any kind of information, it makes it super easy to do and it's all web-based. So I use it for to-do lists, for CRM, for basically anything related to managing parts of our business. I basically, instead of creating a Google Doc, I make an Airtable. Hmm. What's the benefit to making an Airtable versus a Google Doc? It has a lot more functionality than an Excel sheet. So it really lets you create a full database where things get linked together, and um, you can basically use it like you would use a, a custom-made database, but you can do it yourself without a developer. Hmm. Is it a free app? It is indeed. And are you using it on iOS? Yes. Okay. Do we know if it is available on Android? I bet it is. It's web-based, so I think they've figured out a way to do it all. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, you never know. Sometimes people say they've picked one or the other. Yes. Also joining us today is Megan Karu, who is the CEO and founder of Tuckerbox, which is a fun uh, farm-to-lunchbox meal delivery service yes. for kids. Hi, guys. Hello. Thank you for coming out to Bushwick. Yeah. I live in Bushwick. So, so you came the least far. That's right. And Roshna <laughs> actually came from the airport this morning. She came in from Detroit. Yes. So she went A little bit further. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have an app that you like a lot right now? Yeah. So actually, um, Tuckerbox is still pre-money. So I'm working uh, a couple days a week at a bar. And one app that I really love is When I Work. And it is so helpful. It um, helps you sort of streamline your scheduling of your staff. And basically, you can like request time off and get those approved and then um, just see who else is working that night that you're working. And it just is like completely transparent. So anybody who's managing a restaurant or 
um, you know, has to deal with staffing of any sort. When I work is what's up. So that's a platform for staff to and staff management. Does the establishment you work in use the platform or yeah. do you use it and then you brought it with you? No, they were already using it. Um, and they're just like, you know, download this app. It's going to help you um, be able to like even a month out, you know, figure out what schedule and then uh, whoever's doing the scheduling just has it all in one place. And so they can um, just map out. Yeah, it's great. That actually sounds like potentially an interesting app to talk about on Tech Bytes. We actually did uh, two episodes ago, episode 97, we did an app called Jit Jet Joe, which is the restaurant staffing app. It's like a temp yeah. agency for restaurant staff, which is pretty interesting. That is awesome. Yeah. I haven't heard about that. You one. might want to check it out if you're looking for pickup work. Okay. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> Seated next to her is Dipti Sharma, who is the CEO and founder of a company called Food to Eat, which brings local immigrant food owned companies catering into office spaces. Yeah. Uh, good morning. Good morning. And, uh, thank you for having me. Um, so, I guess I'm the second person that came, I guess, furthest. From Midtown Manhattan, I just felt like I had to <laughs> right. point out where you, I came yeah, from. You beat me by a little bit. I come. I came from Chelsea. Oh, so, there you go. Yeah. yeah. So okay. I came. So we're in the middle. We're in the middle. Yeah. We're not too far away. No. Um. So apps. I'm a new mom, and I feel like I don't have a lot of time to be checking out a ton of apps. But the one thing that I have been um, that's been really helpful for me as a new mom is just honestly checking in on the what to expect when you're expecting app. So it's an app that you generally download before you're having a child because it, it kind of breaks down the horrors um, that you kind of go through while you're pregnant. Um, and post-pregnancy, it's been a great app to, you know, I feel like it's reading my mind or is like living in my house because every <laughs> single time there's something happening with my kid, um, it will send me a notification about how to fix that. Um, which is kind of scary because it's and, and maybe it's just they've realized they've collected enough data where there are certain periods of, um, you know, when kids are growing up, things happen. And the, the time maybe period. it's on a timeline when you exactly. when you create a, do you create a user account with your the age, age information yes. of yep. your child mm-hmm. so that it can sort of tick along yeah. at like six months. This is going to happen. Start exactly. Sending those. Um, but it's just interesting because, it you know, we'll always have great information on just, you know, the worries that you have as a new parent. Um, the craziness that you're going through and, you know, if the kid has eczema, what to do and how to deal with it and what products you should be using and um, when you should be going to see the doctor and whatnot. So for me, um, that's been great as a new mom. Um, And it's not like a new app or anything innovative. It's just information that's being fed to me when I need it. But Um, a hyper-specific community. Exactly. And then that's aggregating all the information and experience. Mm -hmm from that specific community. Yeah. I'm also one that avoids too many mommy blogs because I think um, I, I avoid unsolicited advice when it comes to parenting just because a lot of people have a lot of things to say and um, I prefer just, you know, doing it within the network I'm most comfortable with. So American Pediatric Association has approved them. I feel most comfortable using them. So that's been what I've been um, uh, doing outside of work. So that's good to know. We've not ha- ever heard or really talked too much about parenting on this show, which is interesting, even though I know that there are people who are parents who have been on the show. Um, 
there was a gentleman on the show last week, which was a show about the um, NYC Big Apps contest, but he has a kid and he uses an app, which you may need later, called Photomath, where mm-hmm. you take a picture of the equation and then it gives you the answer. That's so when he's helping his kid with his homework... <laughs> He uses the app. Cheating. That's great. As opposed to doing the math himself. It's not Dad cheating. It's, it's not cheating if they're not testing you. Indeed. True. Right? <laughs> so I'm going to uh, flip the switch a little bit on the app segment. I'm in the market for a good phone call recording app. Now, typically, David and I like to talk a lot about privacy and internet and personal smartphone digital security. But in this instance, I do work as a writer and I do work as a journalist and often like to record my interviews with people so I can have accurate quotes and notes. And I typically like to interview people in person, but sometimes you have to do it on the phone. And there's a lot of phone call apps out there. And I'm just curious if any of our listeners have any advice or recommendations about voice recording phone call recording apps that they like there are free ones there are paid ones i suppose this would be an instance where you'd really want to read the terms and conditions to find out what happens to those recordings because there are some of them that work where it engages a third like a three a third call conference call to record it somehow so I'm, I'm also curious about where all those calls go or if they just stay native on your phone yeah, Read, no. reader tos exactly terms of service we we did anybody read the terms of service for any of the apps that they downloaded just out of curiosity it's a new survey that i'm taking i mean i read no. mine because i wrote them <laughs> right do you ever read the terms of service when you download apps I feel like I've just started to, but I never did before. And I think it's Do you make it through to the end? No. I think I try to go through general chunks, but it's also been ever since I've heard about Alexa recording you when you're not actually using it, or that's freaked me out, and I don't have Alexa for that exact reason. Um, Not that I'm hiding anything, but it just sounds... It's strange strange. to think of that. Yeah, and so... um, Well, because it has to be listening to you in order mm -hmm. to work. Exactly. I mean, it makes sense, but... um, Privacy is definitely a scary thing to think about, and I don't think it really exists anymore. No, it doesn't. Right. It doesn't. I mean, you can do your best to reasonably protect important things from the general public, but I think institutions and businesses are pretty much have it all. Mm-hmm. It doesn't take that much. I think they've had it for a while. We're just becoming mm-hmm. more aware of it now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wonder if it would be an interesting. To, I wonder if it would be interesting to do an episode reading through the terms and conditions of something, perhaps with an attorney. Yes, we've had an attorney on before too. We did an episode. Um, they all. The, the timing blends. The timing is is hard to peg. I'm, it was uh, protect your IP on social media, and we had an attorney who specializes in intellectual property and patent law and talked about the sort of basic steps you can make if you're a business or a person, and especially if you're a chef or a restaurant or a creative person who's publishing work online that people can use. How do you protect your name, your brand, your recipes? Uh, It was an interesting episode. But increasingly, nobody reads the... um, the yes. terms and conditions, and so, therein, therein lies where the, well, you already agreed to let them track your every move and sell it to, you know, the highest yeah. bidder. Yeah, I was going to say, um, one of the cohorts that was in 
the Google incubator program that I graduated from 30 weeks was working on a project, uh, creating a company called Roger. And the whole concept of the app Roger was legalese. So basically you would submit, you know, like the terms and conditions, for instance, let's say, and it would, um, basically give back to you something that was much more, uh, human and understandable that's amazing um, I, for the every man basic language mm-hmm. yeah speaking regular english <laughs> exactly regular. maybe we'll work on developing a show around that because it has become very important so many of these things are not that you have to opt in to them it's when you agree to it you're already in mm-hmm. and if you don't want them tracking selling tabulating keeping information you have to opt out Mm-hmm. But most people don't even realize that. Yeah. Also potentially developing a show on advertising because advertising is probably the number one uh, aggregator, keeper, tracker, follower, seller of personal information mm-hmm. and data. It doesn't operate without it. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty amazing. It's yeah. pretty amazing what they do and what you just sort of what sort of happens to you as you walk around with a smartphone on in your pocket and even off in some instances. I have a former life in ad tech, so I can share some secrets maybe next time. Okay. (laughs) We'll, we'll build a show on that. Look out for actually. Excellent. Excellent. (laughs) We can build another round table. So, but this round table today is to talk about women in food tech. Uh, these three women here have all founded their own companies. Uh, Rachna's company has been sort of, it's the most mature in terms of its life stage, having been out and functional and working within their community. Um, Megan's Tucker Box is going to go live this fall. And Deep Tea, her food to eat is foodtoeat.com is actually up and running and working and bringing delicious food to offices around the city. Women in tech, it's something that we read about in the headlines all the time. And it's everything from, you know, uh, seminars, symposiums, conferences, meetups, women getting together, talking about women in tech. It's everything from, you know, girls who code and trying to entice young women and girls into math and tech spaces. Girls who code, ladies who code. I belong to a ladies in tech group on you know, Facebook. And then there's also, you know, it seems to be sort of a, a occasion for you know, celebration and notoriety still to this day when you have a woman who becomes the head of a tech company or who becomes a significant C-suite member of a tech company leadership group. And in the calls that I had with all these women getting ready for the show, one of the things that we talked about you know, was some of the age-old questions that investors ask women and partners ask women, like, when are you going to have a baby? Are you going to have a baby? Because that seems to be a big hurdle that women have to get over still to this day. And it made me think of the Diane Keaton movie, Baby Boom, which was 1987. Hmm where she inherits a baby and she's a law partner and uh, it's her dealing with this baby that she never thought to have children but then you know the onslaught of you know prejudice and difficulty that that creates in her professional life and I was like god it's it's still the same and that also brought to mind a a woman you know a a sign that I saw at the women's march in DC you know a, a gray haired woman you know in her polar fleece holding up her sign with a very kind of 
stoic, resigned expression on her face, and her sign said, I, I can't believe I'm still protesting this shit. Yeah. <laughs> Things haven't changed. So, yeah, I, I, so um, women in tech, what's different? What's the same? Business as usual? Um, is it is it what you, has has the media prepared you for what it is that you're not really phased by everything and you just kind of put your head down and keep going? It's as it surprise you at how ridiculous sometimes these situations are. But then on the flip side, do you feel that there's also in some ways a benefit to being a woman in the tech space, which there may be. I mean, the community, this this the power of numbers, things like that. I mean, what would be What's the, what's the thing that surprised you most about being a woman CEO with a tech company right now? Roshna, you've had the most runway, so we'll start with you. Well, I think, um, I think the thing that surprised me most was that a lot of the media reports of the things that you might feel were fairly accurate. Um, so I think from the good to the bad, I've experienced multiple instances of what the media has sort of characterized as what it feels like to be a woman in tech. And I was like, oh, aha, I see. That's what that is. Mm -hmm. So it actually helped me, um, I think, place and then move forward from whatever these encounters might be that I, in some cases, interpret as I'm experiencing these things because I am a female in uh, in a predominantly male industry. Um, so I think the surprising thing was that it was actually quite predictable. Sort of like your your mom app. Yeah. Surprisingly mm -hmm. predictable, perhaps. Surprisingly predictable, yeah. yeah so absolutely. that means it's universal. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I, w I would say that I think things are definitely evolving. Um, mm -hmm. The more faces that you see, I'm, I'm glad that the, that there are three women CEOs sitting here today. Um, there are more of us out there, so I think it's just a numbers game. Uh, and as more women dive into this world, it will make it easier for more people because at the end of the day, um, I think the biggest barrier early stage companies face that are run by women is the fundraising process. And there is always that idea that, you know, you fund the people who look and act like you when you don't have that female at the other side of the table. It makes it a bit harder. So I think the fact that there are more successful women entrepreneurs, that means that there will be more successful women investors who will continue to feed the funnel. Yeah. And it com it kind of goes back to you can't be what you can't see. Right. right? And mm -hmm. so the more women we are seeing, um, the more we're actually talking about it um, is better um, because there's more women listening and they understand that it's a problem, but it's not a problem that can't be faced, um, that can't be dealt with and that can't be, you know, gotten over. Um, so I, you know, for me, it's the same thing. The media actually does portray exactly um, what I've been going through. I mean, I was one of the women that was asked when I was going to have a baby. And I answered, you know, instead of being quiet and laughing and just, you know, walking away from an awkward conversation, I took it head on and started educating him and said, A, first of all, you shouldn't be asking me that question. B, would you have asked anybody else? Um, C, I've already had a child and that's my company. And I haven't run away from it. So if I have another, you know, if I have a human child, I will not run away from the first one. You know, I will figure out a way on making both work at the same time. Um, and yes, there will be setbacks in one shape or, you know, one way or another. But that doesn't mean one is going to suffer over the other. It's just that's what I do. That's what anybody would do. They want to see both to be successful and you just push forward. So um, for me, it's been just making sure that I'm educating everyone that I run into that 
tries to, you know, use the fact that I'm a female as a problem. Um, and I just say, no, it's a good thing. Having a baby actually for me has only helped me prioritize my work even more um, because I know that I want to be able to do both, run a company that's successful and then, you know, grow a good human being. Um, so I make time for both and make sure that I'm there and present um, at all times. And I think that educational piece is also really important. Um, letting men know that it's a not okay to you know think the way you have continued to think for the past X years, um, and moving forward, women are being more progressive and want to make a change, and they'll continue to make all things work that they want to make work, and whether that's motherhood or not, it's their own decision, and it shouldn't be factored into whether or not you're going to invest in me. Um, that's been my take on it for now. <laughs> Do know. these things? appear to be specific to women in tech or are these just women in business issues is there do you can you see a distinction or do you make a distinction between these are these are experiences um, that i'm having or issues that i need to deal with because this is the tech space or is this just straight yeah. up i think you it's know, women in women business, in I, business. Think, yeah. I think though in tech it's more inflated um because the ratio is such that I think they're they're actually you know the scales are, are tipped a little bit further um, with the numbers you know the population being more men. Um, but my co-founder and I have have you know going back to what you were saying before, seen the good, the bad, the ugly, and you know I'll start with the good, which is that I don't even think I would have started Tuckerbox if it weren't for seeing so many incredible CTO female CTOs um, and. Um, queer women leaders um, through Lesbians Who Tech and these different networks, Food and Tech, um, Connect, which is incredible. And, um, you know, getting involved in those things when I first was thinking about Tucker Box and, you know, having those women behind me and having conversations with those people is really what um, gave me the courage to pursue it and, and leave my career. Um, I will say, though, we have had situations like, you know, being in a pitch meeting and it's three or five men behind the table and they are like sit down we're not shaking hands you know uh tell us what you want kind of thing just really kind of abrasive rude um <laughs> we're not working with that <laughs> incubator but um yeah so i guess if, i guess we've experienced both sides of of it um it's interesting for for the three of you um do you think that the fact that women are vocal and create community and groups and support amongst each other then becomes an advantage? I mean, definitely men in the workplace have, you know, a camaraderie and things like that. I don't know that they have as much camaraderie as women do in a significant way outside the workplace. I mean, I think once you get into the workplace and the job set, it's like, oh, hey, 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 you know, the handshake, the boys club and all of that. But I don't know that they are as organized and supportive and enthusiastic about moving the group forward collectively. Does that kind of offset balance? I mean, nothing sort of makes it equal, but... I think having a support system of women, I think that you said it best where, you know, you can't be who you don't see. Um, that's very critical. And I think the other thing that these communities or networks of women, and I'm also part of a bunch of them, um, have done, have also made it very easy to find male allies. I think having male mm -hmm. allies is mm -hmm. critical for us to kind of 
move the ball forward when we think about changing the culture? Because it's not just about hiring practices or raising money. It's really rooted in a culture of this is what I've believed forever. And that's only going to change if we have male allies that are supporting our new narrative that I think we're all creating together. Well, speaking of creating a narrative together, um, this is one narrative. And this is, a, I think, an important conversation to be having and to be sharing with you know, the world and 65 different countries. If you think this is an important conversation to be having and sharing, like all the other conversations on Heritage Radio Network, think about becoming a member and an underwriter. We are completely member-supported, and we rely entirely on support from wonderful companies like this to keep the lights on and keep the radio on the air. program is brought to you by Chefs Collaborative, a national nonprofit network with a mission to inspire, educate, and celebrate chefs and food professionals building a better food system. Chefs Collaborative members work to make sustainable practices second nature for every chef in the United States. Chefs Collaborative was founded in 1993 by visionary chefs including Rick Bayless and Alice Waters who acknowledge the influential role of food professionals on our food choices, our collective personal health, the vitality of cultures, and the integrity of the global environment. Chefs Collaborative believes that the greater culinary community can be a catalyst for positive change by expanding the market for good food and helping to preserve local farming and fishing communities. Change menus, change lives. Learn more about Chefs Collaborative at chefscollaborative.org. Hey, like what you hear? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. With fresh programming every week, we've got something for everyone. Trying to start your own food business? Concerned about where your food comes from? Looking for the best wine or beer to bring to a party? Find our shows on iTunes or Stitcher, or head to heritageradionetwork.org to listen live and subscribe to our newsletter. Well, if you've just joined us and you're wondering what the hell you clicked on, this is Tech Bytes, the weekly show on the Heritage Radio Network where we talk to innovators and influencers in the food tech space. Are you an innovator? Are you an influencer? Have you created a new app? Do you have a favorite app? Do you have something you really want to know more about? If you do, get in touch with us at Tech Bytes HRN on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. You can also email us, techbytes at heritageradionetwork.org. We would love to hear from you. We are totally interactive, so give us a shout, follow along, and let us know what you think. Today, we are talking with three women food tech CEOs, Rachna Govani, who is the CEO and co-founder of the Food Stand app. You can find her at the Food Stand or thefoodstand.com. We have Megan Crow, the CEO and founder of Tucker Box. That's T-U-C-K-R-B-O-X dot com. 
You can find her on Facebook and Instagram at Tuckerbox and on Twitter at Tuckerbox Lunch because it is a farm to lunch box <laughs> delivery app service for kids. <laughs> and we also have Deep T Sharma, who is the CEO and founder of foodtoeat.com. You can find her at Food to Eat on Twitter and Instagram. And that is a company that takes immigrant locally owned food businesses and brings them into offices as their company catering. So that's great. We're talking about the state of the union for women in food tech. Something that I'm um, interested in that uh, a few of you have said in the first part of the show, you can't be what you can't see. That's interesting to me, talking about successful you know, women role models, examples to see and aspire to be like. But you're all in the food tech space where you're creating things that actually haven't existed before. So when it comes to creating a product or service or an app, you seem to be super inspired, motivated, and creative to create something that hasn't existed before. But when it comes to life and a personal modeling, you can't be what you can't see. That's, that's a fascinating kind of counterpoint to me. Yeah. I feel like, though, all of, you know... You, you have the entrepreneur urge, right? Mm -hmm. Or the inspiration that you just can't sleep at night and you have this thing in your head. That's kind of separate than um, being a leader or deciding to start it and run a company. And when you get into the thick of it, if you don't have that role model or um, that influence to kind of look up to, to see what good leadership looks like from another woman, I think... Um, you know, those are kind of two separate things, and that's where you see drop-off, right? Yeah, and so, I think a lot of entrepreneurs sort of, they they actually do visualize, they do see that future that they mm -hmm. believe should exist. Um, so I don't think there's an absence of, of goal-setting. It's right. the path, I think, yeah. Megan, to your point, that, like, you know, that we can meander all we want. We need a role model that's going to help us get from point A to point B. But that kind of goalpost is something that is very much within our 2020 vision. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's really fascinating how on on the one hand you can be really creative and uh, visionary and imagine something that doesn't exist. So that's you know creating that new idea, that new product, that new solution, that new way of eating, that new food system is, is something that you can see. And then being a leader and a company founder is the sort of byproduct of that. And that's maybe not something that you necessarily intended to do, but in order to achieve your vision, you sort of have to engage in that. Is that maybe the break point? I think so. I think you, you kind of are hitting the nail on the head, right? Because um, I would almost, uh, you know, without having heard that, you can't be what you can't see. I would almost say if you have the capacity in you to envision something that doesn't exist mm -hmm. and to go ahead and make that a reality and work towards turning that into something real. I, why I think that only gets you to a certain point, right? Mm -hmm. So you're, um, a lot of the reasons why entrepreneurs start businesses is because they see something that sucks, right? I always, right. whenever I'm talking to students, I always say, what do you think that sucks in the world and how can you Solving fix it? Solving the problem. Solving the problem. Creating a better. Creating a solution. Um, 
And so that's one thing, and that takes you to a certain extent. But to actually get through the process of creating a company, it's one thing to have a lot of good ideas. I mean, I'm sure we all have friends that said, well, I thought of Facebook like 20 years ago. Well, <laughs> right. you know, but it's one thing to be able to say that you have an idea, and it's a completely other thing to execute it. And then the third is to actually follow through and make it a success and execute it the right way possible, right? And so I think what we all need is those proper leaders that we can look up to and see how have they done this? How did they face these hurdles when they were being, you know, you know, we also hear all the stories that I talked to 60, you know, investors before I finally heard a yes. And, and that inspiration, hearing that story has made it easier for, I'm sure the three of us to keep saying, it's okay. I keep hearing no's. I keep hearing no's, you know, at some point, you know, you, you have to realize you have a bad idea, but in a lot of cases, you're just not meeting the right people that believe in you. Um, or understand what you're doing. Um, and there's so many founder stories where you hear that. So it's, it's not just the idea. The vision is great, and a lot of people have it. I think what it really takes is that courage for the extra mile. Um, and, and I think that you have to keep hearing all these stories. You have to keep having these conversations so that others can continue um, to execute on their ideas. Because I can tell you I have a ton of friends that have lots of ideas but then don't actually do anything with them. Um, mm-hmm. So there has to be both, I think. That's where I think that you can't be what you can't see really fits in. Yeah, and I think that goes back to the network concept. So it's not just sort of seeing the one article about the one successful person. It's understanding how they've experienced the day-to-day because mm-hmm. those circumstances yep. that we all face, understanding how to navigate those circumstances is way more valuable than just seeing, oh, this female raised X million dollars whoop-de-doo, now I can do it too, right? Yeah. You want to know how that person navigated that conversation with that very difficult person and convince them otherwise. That stuff is very, very critical. And we're also living in an age where failures are being celebrated. Um, mm. So reading about those failures, right? I mean, I've been running my company since 2011, and we you know, pivoted. Um, and I've just started talking about that pivot. And before I used to be afraid, I used to be afraid to talk about the fact that I wasn't successful when I first started. And it took me, you know, four years to finally figure out a business model that would work and make money. And today I'm proud to say that we're profitable. But if I don't talk about that pivot, if I don't talk about where we started and, you know, the hurdles we went through, the next person's going to think as soon as I hit a hurdle, I'm just going to stop and, you know, end this company. If you are really true to your vision, it's really important to think about, are you doing it the right way? Are you executing the right way? What are things that you need to think about? So it's those failures that I think are really most important that we need to continue talking about. Um, you know, sometimes there are women aren't as risk averse. And so we need to, sh- you know, showcase that it's okay to fail. It's okay to not, you know, um, to mess up. And, and the same thing happens with me in parenting. It's okay to mess up. It's okay for your kid to, you know, bump their head a little bit and you figure it out. And so those are things that I think are most important is, celebrating your failures, understanding and learning from them, and then growing from them. Is celebrating your failures part and parcel of the growing um, trend or presentation choice or social trend right now amongst women of being sort of 100% honest, natural, this is my story, this is who I am, I don't wear makeup, I'm not photoshopped. I have great days. I have bad days. You know, sometimes I'm on my diet. Sometimes I'm not. I'm comfortable with this. I'm comfortable with that. We're, we're coming into a stage, I think, from many endpoints in life right now that are telling us increasingly it is not just okay, but it's great 
and it's almost desirable, more desirable and preferable just to be what you're going to be. And let's talk about that and be fine and great. I think it's changing, and I think it's not changing as quickly for women. So I have embraced that mentality. When I talk about our business, we also went through a pivot recently. So I'm very forthcoming with that information when we're talking to partners or investors um, who hear kind of both stories. And I've definitely gotten a lot of flack. You know, what did, what did you do? Why did you make that mistake? Tell us what you really learned. Are you really going to not make more mistakes? So I think as much as we hear that, it's, um, that things are changing, um, that failure is something to be celebrated. And as an entrepreneur, I know that we need to, you know, all of us need to go through these, these failures because our assumptions are not tested until they hit the market. Um, but I think the rest of the community, our audience, whoever they may be, depending on who they are, what their background is, where they live, um, are not ready to hear that. So I think we just need to continue to push on that and make that yeah. really the norm. I, I really like, I think that we need to focus more on the courage around failure, right? So it's not so much that you had a failure, oh my gosh, let's talk about it. Let's, let's really hone in on where you went wrong. It's that that person got back up and had the same courage that they had when they first started talking about their idea out loud to just keep going. And, um, you know, in these early, yeah, in these early days, there's so many highs and lows day to day. Um, and it's about being resilient. Uh, and it's about, you know, tapping your, being brave enough to, and to just tap your network when you need them. Um, I think it's that, those little, you know, ounces of courage every single day that, that really, um, is what we need to focus on with failure. I think also it, it might be a trend. I don't know, but I think, um, my generation, I think, values transparency a lot more. And just, this is who I am. Take me as I am. Mm -hmm. And if you don't like it, then move on and find where you need to be. But I think transparency is becoming a big thing. Um, Transparency is being talked about in a lot of ways, right? Transparency within your companies and in the workplace of, you know, you can talk about your salaries and, and so many things that are being argued and talked about. So I think transparency has been pretty awesome. Um, and that's where I think failure comes in, just being transparent about what you've been through and your experiences and people value that and respect that a lot more. Um, I've noticed in the millennial generation that that's been a huge thing that they appreciate when even larger companies are doing that and talking about how, um, they're changing their parental leave policies and all these kinds of things Mm -hmm. and showcasing that they're, you know, trying to be on the forefront of all the issues that are, um, that we're dealing with on a day-to-day basis. So I think transparency is key and that um, the more we are who we are to the core um, and out in the open, um, the more people will respect us. So believe it or not, we are out of time, which is terrible because we could talk about these things for a lot longer, I know. I feel like it should almost be a two-part episode. But at the end of every show, I like to ask my guests for a little piece of advice that our listeners can use in real life. And so I'll ask the three of you the same question. Um, From the point of view of being a founder, of being an entrepreneur, of being a woman in tech, you know, it's hard work every day. I mean, working is hard and then working up against the different challenges, the 60 no's to get to one yes for investors and things like that. And once you get to a certain point, you know, working hard to take care of the people who now work for you and with you. How do you stay motivated and inspired going back to that you can't be what you can't see idea and having 
you know, you, I think at there are, we all have days where it's just hard and we're tired and maybe we're cranky. And where do you, where do you go? How do you get your inspiration, your motivation? Does it come and go in different moments? Is, do you have a go-to thing that you do all the time, a person, a song, a meditation, a sport? Does it just happen? You read an article, you see a movie, you watch a commercial. I don't know. <laughs> um, so for me, it's a couple of things. So one is, you know, definitely um, exercise and, you know, whether that's running, spinning or meditating, um, just finding that place of peace for myself and um, mental peace is always necessary and to clear my mind. So I use that. Um, but a lot of times um, I go back to the mission. Why did I start my business? And uh, even through our pivot, my mission has always been to help immigrant women, minority owned businesses, uh, food businesses of New York City. And I go back to their stories. Um, I go back to the stories that I've collected, the people I've met and uh the ways that we have helped and um, grown and scaled their businesses. And those stories really bring back, bring me back to why I think um, it's necessary and important for me to continue doing my business. Um, so although it becomes hard and, you know, a sale doesn't happen or something goes wrong, the client gets upset or whatever, um, for me it's the, the, you know, finding mental um, clarity through my exercise and then going back to the, the mission and the stories that I've been collecting since 2011, the people that I've met, um, and how valuable those are to me personally and to our company. Um, so for me, it's been those two things that really get me to keep pushing forward. And um, I always say, just make sure you love what you do um, because mm -hmm. it's really important. A lot of people have this notion that they think they're, they're going to love it. Um, but just make sure that the idea that you have, you can live with that for the next, like, you know, at least five forever. years. Yeah. I it, say if forever. If it's good, forever. Right. If it's good, forever, but at least five years to, you know, conduct a good business. So, yeah, I think for me, um, lately it's been helping to just sort of remember who I was before this all started. <laughs> and that might sound kind of cheesy, but you know, what strengths do I bring to the table? Um, you know, why did I even start working on Tuckerbox, um, stuff like that. And yeah, I definitely have to agree about, um, taking care of your mind and body. Um, that's something that is easy to forget. And then when you do do it, you just feel so good. And, uh, you know, it kind of brings you back to yourself, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think it's, it's about remaining humble yeah. Uh, so I would definitely echo that these comments. Um, I I tend to uh, follow the principle. This is a mentor told me this that entrepreneurship. Before I started, he said entrepreneurship is ninety eight percent shit, two percent awesome, and that two percent should carry you through all the valleys. Um, and the 2% for me always goes back to reading the testimonials from our members, people who've made dramatic yeah. changes because we've been around. I have some of them on post-its. I have some of them sort of saved to my desktop. So whenever mm -hmm. anything goes wrong, or if there's a moment where I feel like things are, are not clear, I continue to go back to those quote unquote customer stories, because that's, again, it goes back to your mission. And I think the other thing that I found very valuable, I, and I feel like entrepreneurs always struggle with this, and I definitely do, that we get married to the solution. As much as we're driven by our mission, we get married to the thing we produced. And, and I've had to force myself, uh, and I found it very helpful to kind of pull away from the solution and say, 
my vision and my mission has always been this. This is what keeps me up at night, what wakes me up in the morning. If the way I do that, if my delivery mechanism is different, that's okay. The fact that I'm able to see that through is what matters most because the outcome that I want to see is that next customer testimonial telling me that somebody has quit soda for good and feels tremendously better. That's all really great, easy, accessible uh, ways to sort of clear the deck and re-motivate and re-inspire yourself. I think the interesting thing is that across the, the, across the studio, for the three of you, it's relatively um, solutions and going back to uh, a point of focus and a thought and an idea that is within your own sphere of thought and your own intention and your own actionable results which I think is very telling and also just generally a very uh, strong piece of advice, which is nobody said they go and listen to somebody else or they go and read you know, somebody else's ways to motivate themselves or something like that, that you all uh, take a moment, you know, recharge your, your body and get some clarity and then you know, take a look at you know, the good things that you have, remind yourself of them, and then you know, re-motivate yourself with that. I think that's... A, fascinating that the three of you kind of said some variant of that, and B, pretty great, actually. (laughs) Happy to hear it. Well, again, I'm very happy to have Rachna, Megan, and Depti on the show today talking about women in food tech as CEOs and business founders. Um, If you like more of this idea, we've had a lot of women in tech and CEOs and founders on Tech Bytes. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and on heritageradionetwork.org. You can listen on demand. You can subscribe. You can leave us a review and tell us what you think and what you'd like to hear. We would very much like to hear from you. I'm Jennifer Leitze. This is Tech Bytes. listening to heritage radio network food radio supported by you for our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events subscribe to our newsletter enter your email at the bottom of our website heritageradionetwork.org connect with us on facebook instagram and twitter at heritage underscore radio heritage radio network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better fairer more delicious place And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.